Well, I think all of us would agree with this statement that I want to put before you this morning. It's no fun living with critics. Uh, I think that's something all of us would nod our head in agreement and say, yes, that is true. Um, I read about a young man who wanted to get married, and uh, every potential bride that he brought home, his mother mercilessly criticized. And a friend of his finally said, well, why don't you try to find a, a girl who is exactly like your mother? Well, amazingly, he found such a girl. She looked like his mother. She talked like his mother. She walked like his mother. She even thought like his mother. So he brought her home. Later, the friend said to him, how did it go? He said, well, my mother loved her. But I've got a new problem. My father can't stand her. <laughs> it's no fun living with critics, is it? I heard about a husband who constantly criticized his wife. Nothing she did was acceptable. If she brought him scrambled eggs in the morning, he wanted the eggs poached. If she poached the eggs, he wanted them scrambled. One morning she decided, I know how to please him. I'll poach one egg and scramble the other. So she brought that breakfast to him. He glared at it. He said, can't you do anything right? You scrambled the wrong one. <laughs> Would you join me in saying this? It's no fun living with critics. Let me add two more words. It's no fun living with critics in church. That puts a little different spin on it, doesn't it? You see, Jesus is very, very concerned about this. We can laugh at jokes about critics, but this is no laughing matter in God's family. Jesus understands that critics can upset an entire church and do the devil's work. And so it is a very, very serious matter. Uh, this morning, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is applying to us the Lord's Prayer, I want us to look at what he has to say about judging others. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And as we begin the third chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, these are very well-known verses but they are perhaps some of the most misunderstood in all of Scripture. Follow along as I read what our Savior says. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now in this passage, Jesus does for us three very simple things. 
he gives us a basic principle in verse 1. And then he explains that principle in verse 2. And then because Jesus is a master teacher and he understands the power of illustration, he gives to us three examples showing us why when we do what he condemns here, we are hypocrites to the nth degree. So let's look together, shall we, first of all, at the principle. And here's what Jesus teaches us in this principle. Oh, how we need to mark this down in our lives. God will judge harsh critics of others. Mark this down, says Jesus. If we are a harsh critic of others, God will ultimately judge us. He says in verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, the word judge here uh, comes from the Greek word krino. Uh, we get our English word critic from this particular word. Now, we have to be very careful here this morning because do not judge does not mean don't think. It doesn't mean do not be discerning. Uh, this is not a call for us to suspend our faculties of critical thinking on moral or spiritual issues. In fact, uh, look down at verse 6 and notice what Jesus says there. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. And then look down at verse 15 where he says, watch out for false prophets. Now let me ask you, how are you going to detect these kind of people without making moral and spiritual judgments? Obviously you have to do that. So Jesus is not saying to us, let's suspend our critical thinking in moral and spiritual areas. Rather, what Jesus is warning us not to be is a hypocritical or hypercritical fault finder who relishes giving negative opinions of others. Let me ask you, does somebody come to mind when I say that this morning? Do you come to mind? Do I come to mind? Jesus is warning us about not being hypercritical fault finders who relish sharing negative opinions of others. Now, if there's anything that we have learned in the Sermon on the Mount, it is that all of us fall short of God's standards. Remember what Jesus said in uh, verse 48 of, of chapter 5? He said, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God requires perfection from us. What we must never think is that somehow because we are saved, God has now lowered His standards. That is not the case. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, Be holy in all that you do, for it is written, Be holy as I am holy. God could not be true to Himself and require any less from us than perfection. Now when we begin to understand that, what it should lead to in our lives are two attitudes. First of all, as you study the Sermon on the Mount, we ought to be so grateful for grace, shouldn't we? 
I mean, when we see this high standard that we are called to, how merciful is God to us that He has saved any of us? Am I speaking the truth here this morning when I say not a single one of us in this auditorium deserves salvation? Am I speaking the truth this morning? Yes, I am. Uh, Somebody has said if we understand the Sermon on the Mount properly, uh, we will know that there are three surprises awaiting us in heaven. Number one, we will be surprised that there are some people there that we did not expect to be there. Second surprise is we will be surprised that there are some people not there that we expected would be there. You know what the greatest surprise will be? That I'm going to be there. That's going to be the greatest surprise. What grace is it that God in His mercy has saved me and I'm going to be there? We ought to have that attitude towards the grace of God. A second response we ought to have to the Sermon on the Mount is humility. No matter how mature we are or how long we have followed the Lord, we are all a long way from perfection and therefore seeing God's high standards for us ought to show us our personal inadequacy. One Bible teacher has put it so well, he has said this, Our habitual response to the Bible must be, What about me, not what about you? And isn't that true? As I come to the Scriptures and and look at what God has to say, my habitual response ought to be, What about me, not what about you? Do you know the great Greek scholar W.E. Vine one time said this, Destructive criticism is the final evidence of a state of spiritual declension. Listen to those words again. From the great scholar W.E. Vine, Destructive criticism is the final evidence of a state of spiritual declension. You see, to be a hypercritical fault finder who tears down others shows a very calloused heart. It reveals self-righteousness. It reveals self-centered pride. And it actually usurps God's place as the only adequate judge of everyone else. Do you understand why God must judge a person as Jesus says? Whoever does this, he says, will be judged as well. And no wonder God must judge such a person. Uh, Verse 1 here is not describing the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment of all the ages on all unbelievers for salvation. But verse 1 is describing the judgment seat of Christ that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5.10 when he says about us as Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive the things due to us done in the body while those things are either good or bad and what Jesus is saying to us and what Paul is picking up is that while we will never experience a judgment for salvation we will experience a judgment for our service 
I think oftentimes as Christians we think that because we are saved, there is no judgment of any kind that we will face. And so we think, I will not appear at the great white throne judgment, therefore my life will not be evaluated, therefore there will be no rendered verdict upon my service. But Jesus now says, no, there will be a judgment of our service on the day in which Jesus comes. Now let's look at this explanation that Jesus gives. He wants us to understand this so much that in verse 2, He gives us an explanation. And the explanation is this. How we judge others is how God will judge us. Now, as I read verse 2, I want you to understand that this was probably a very well-known proverb. Because in the first half, Jesus repeats three Greek words, bang, 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 that all have to do with judgment. And in the second half, he repeats three other Greek words, bang, 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 that all have to do with measuring others. And so verse 2 was probably a very well-known proverb. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this is a play on words. Now, I'm not the greatest uh, fluent in Greek. But let me try this morning just to repeat these three Greek words in both halves of the verse so that you catch a little flavor of this proverb that Jesus is using. Uh, In the first half of verse 2, here are the three words for judgment. Krimati, krinite, krithestiste. Those are the three words, bang, 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 right in each other's, uh, in, in line. Then in the second half where he says, in the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here are the three Greek words. Metro, metrete, metrethresetai. Those are the three words. And so here is clearly Jesus is referring to a well-known proverb. And we understand the point. The way we judge, says our Lord, is how we will be judged. And the standard that we use on others is the standard that will be used on us. Do you know in the Old Testament, false witnesses who misrepresented others were to receive the same punishment that they wanted to be placed on other people? Did you know that? Listen to Deuteronomy 19, verse 18, and see if this does not give us pause when it comes to being a harsh critic of others. Listen to what Moses said. The judges must make a thorough investigation, and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a brother, then do to him as he intended to do to his brother, you must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Now, this very, very standard is taken up in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Look with me back at uh, chapter 5, and I want you to notice verse 7. We talked about this when we looked at this beatitude. Notice what Jesus says. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, what is the Lord saying? He is saying, if we have tasted mercy, then we will show mercy. 
But if we do not show mercy to others, that shows we have never tasted mercy ourselves. And therefore, at the judgment seat of Christ, when we are judged for our works, we'll not be given mercy. Look over at chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15. And we see once again this same Old Testament principle, this same proverb. Look at these verses which we looked at when we looked at the uh, second half of the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We're talking about fellowship forgiveness, the restoration of our fellowship with God as His child. This is not talking about eternal forgiveness. But notice verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now here's the principle again. If we have tasted forgiveness... We will give forgiveness. Somebody has said if we belong to a forgiven fellowship, we will be a forgiving fellowship. But if we show no forgiveness, that shows we have never tasted forgiveness. Therefore, at the judgment seat of our works, we will not be forgiveness, being forgiveness for the attitudes that we have had. Do you see what our Lord is saying to us? The disciple who shows no love, mercy, forgiveness will have his service judged accordingly. That's what our Lord is trying to teach us. I'll never forget um, many, many years ago, my folks' church was without a pastor. And uh, one evening after church, they went to a restaurant where there were some folks that were there from a sister church. And when they learned that my folks' church was without a pastor, one of the ladies in that group piped up, and this is what she said. You're without a pastor? You can have ours. He's no good. Can you imagine... Saying that in a public setting? Now, I happen to know that pastor. I don't know how effective he was, but I know he was a kind and godly man. As a matter of fact, he was a second generation pastor. And I know this. Only God alone is able to judge how good His ministry was. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will expose the motives of men's lives and then everyone, he says, every man will then have his praise from God. For that woman to take God's place saying a kind and godly pastor was no good is reprehensible. That is the only way that we can respond to that kind of harsh criticism. And what Jesus is saying to us is such a lack of mercy, kindness, and love means that her own service for God someday will be harshly judged by God Himself. 
In the fourth century, there was a very well-known preacher by the name of Chrysostom. He was called Golden Mouth. In reflecting upon the attitude that Jesus is condemning here, this is what Chrysostom said. Thou art making the judgment seat dreadful to thyself and the account strict. Who in their right minds wants to make the judgment seat of Christ dreadful and the accounting strict? No one in their right mind would want to do that. And so what our Lord is saying is if we are kind, merciful, forgiving, and loving, then our service will be judged in that way how far better it is to stand before the Lord and receive that kind of judgment. Now our Lord is a master teacher. And as a master teacher, He understands the power of illustrations. And so in verses 3, 4, and 5, He gives to us three examples of why when we fail to heed His warning, we will be guilty of very, very serious hypocrisy. I want to bring these illustrations before us this morning, and I want you to notice how Jesus moves from the lesser to the greater. They get worse and worse as we go. Let's look at them for our learning here this morning, all right? Here's the first one. The first one in verse 3 is inconsistent hypocrisy. This is criticizing small faults in others, but ignoring serious faults in us. Look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now Jesus is using hyperbole here. Hyperbole is deliberate exaggeration that is not meant to be taken literally. Do you know the original hearers of Jesus would have found this to be very, very humorous? Uh, Jesus is using humor to make a very, very serious point. Now, the speck of sawdust that he refers to here is a sliver of wood, a splinter, or a little piece of sawdust that would get into our eye. By the way, Jesus was a carpenter, wasn't he? And he would have seen this very, very many times. Now, obviously here in the hyperbole, the speck of sawdust is a very small fault. It would be what we would call irrelevant, insignificant, really a very small matter. But then the plank that is in our own eye was a bearing beam. It was a main beam. It was a type of beam that you would see, especially in the uh, roof of a house or the floor of a house. You know what it would be for us today? It would be the imagery of these support beams here in our sanctuary. It's the first time in ten years I've used the support beams as an illustration in my sermon. But that would be the imagery for us. Now to have a beam like that protruding from our eye? That is a very serious matter. That would be a sin against God. Now, do you know that there are lots of drawings of these verses? Many people have seen the humor that Jesus is using here. Lots of drawings of these verses. So since Jesus is using humor, let's look at the humor first 
we'll get a good laugh. And then let's see the serious point. You ready? Here's the first one. Or Raymond, you have something in your eye. A piece of sawdust or something. You see the caption. No one particularly liked Alan. Okay? Now that's the humor that Jesus is using. Why is this serious? Well, let me tell you why it's serious. When we act like this, we are inflating our own ego. What appears to be an act of kindness, pointing out a defect in somebody else's life, is actually self-righteousness. You see, hypocrisy is condemning something small in someone else while ignoring sin in us. And what appears to be an act of kindness is really an inflating of our own ego. I began the ministry as a youth pastor in my home church. I'll never forget one summer we had a couple that came in to lead our vacation Bible school, and they really did a very nice job. On family night, uh, the husband got up in front of the congregation and he wanted to read a verse, but he had misplaced his Bible. And uh, I was a youth pastor, I was sitting in the audience, and, and so he called on me to bring him my Bible, and, and I, I brought it to him, but it was a different translation. And as he looked at it, he, he got all flustered because it was a different translation. He gave it back to me and actually asked for somebody else's Bible. After the service, his wife made a beeline for me. She said to me, I'll never forget it, what translation is that? Well, it happened to be the New American Standard Bible, which is an excellent, excellent translation. I preached from the New American Standard Bible for a number of years. And then she said when I told her, is it inspired? <laughs> and I was taken aback. I didn't push my translation. I was minding my own business, sitting in the congregation. I was called on. I just simply tried to be helpful. Her confrontation of me was rude, unkind, disrespectful. Let me ask you, what does God care about more? Which accurate English translation of the Bible we use or whether we're kind, courteous, and respectful? Which does God care about more? How easy it is for us to be like the Pharisees whom Jesus had this to say about them. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. 
how easy it is for us to be inconsistent hypocrites. Let's look at the second illustration. Second illustration is presumptive hypocrisy. This takes it one step further. This is correcting small faults in others, but not correcting serious faults in us. Look at verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now Jesus here is going one step further. This is not just pointing it out, but it is telling the person that you want to help them. Now, once again, let's see the humor in this before we see how serious it is. Here's the humor. You really ought to do something about that speck in your eye. Do you see the question mark? And the shock in this woman's face? Whoever drew this paid fine attention to the text because in verse 4, the word how, how can you say, comes from the Greek word pos, and it literally means how dare you. And then the expression in verse 4, when all the time, is literally the Greek word behold, and it has the idea of a surprising shock. How dare you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, surprisingly, shockingly, behold, you have a plank in your own eye. That's the point that Jesus is making. Do you know this man's feigned interest in helping is not genuine? It's not genuine at all. Hypocrisy is acting with wrong motives, and he has no interest really in helping this woman. All he is doing in saying, let me help you, you really ought to get that speck out of your eye, is he is just desirous of showing his own moral superiority. And Jesus says, that's hypocrisy. This past week I read an anonymous source that gave a threefold test for criticizing anyone. I think Jesus would say amen to this threefold test. Let me give it to all of us here this morning. Here are the three questions every one of us must ask before we are tempted to criticize any brother or sister. Number one, am I motivated by an earnest desire for the welfare of the person I think needs correcting? Number two, am I going to face him honestly but gently? Number three, do I find the task thoroughly disagreeable or am I secretly getting some pleasure out of it? Do you want to know what? If we cannot pass these three tests, our criticism is probably not genuine. We are guilty of presumptive hypocrisy. Now let's notice the third one. Third illustration that Jesus gives is really the worst of the three. It is destructive hypocrisy. 
It is preparing another's life without clear vision from repairing our life first. Look at verse 5 again, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now notice that Jesus did not say we should never correct each other. What he is saying is that eye surgery is a very delicate thing. I'll never forget when I was just a child, uh, just, a, just a boy. I must have been less than 10 years of age. I was pulling up the covers one night uh, to go to sleep, and when I pulled up this red blanket that I had, a grain of sand flew up into my eye and lodged itself way back underneath my eyelid. I mean, I was just in misery. And try as we might to wash that out, we could not get it out. And I vividly remember being in misery all night. And then finally the next day, we went to um, our family doctor, a Christian man by the name of Dr. Peterson. And I'll never forget lying there as he took a Q-tip. And he rolled back my eyelid. He was able to see the grain of sand. And then with another Q-tip... He brushed it away, and oh, the relief that came to me. That was delicate surgery. Now contrast it with the humor again that Jesus is using. I'm glad I didn't go to this guy. Imagine this doctor. Let me take the speck out of your eye. This doctor will only do more damage. In fact, you know what he'll do? He'll put out both eyes with his beam. Eye surgery is delicate surgery. Can I say this? Soul surgery is delicate surgery, isn't it? Soul surgery requires humility and gentleness. In fact, Paul told us in Galatians 6.1 as a parallel verse how you do soul surgery. Would you read Galatians 6.1 with me? Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Do you see what it takes to repair someone else's life? It takes spirituality. It takes gentleness. It takes personal watchfulness. That's the clear vision that Jesus is talking about. And let me just say, we only get that kind of clear vision after years of self-examination, removing the planks from our own life. Let me just say that again. 
We only get this kind of spirituality, gentleness, and personal self-watchfulness after years of examining our own lives and removing the planks. And then when we have, we are in the right position to go to somebody else and look at the little fault in their life and gently, humbly, carefully help them with it. Oh, how much we need this. Oh, how much we need this. Two of my favorite preachers, Stephen Olford, who is now with the Lord, he was the pastor of the Great Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. The others are Kent Hughes, who retired after many years as pastor of College Avenue Church in Wheaton, Illinois. Let me share for you as I close two penetrating quotes from them. Let us allow this to sink deep into our hearts today. Here's Dr. Olford. All judgment of others should be preceded by a period of self-examination. As we kneel at the cross, we should ask the Lord Jesus to search our hearts as to whether or not there are splinters in others which have come from the planks that we find in our own lives. And all God's people said. And now Dr. Hughes. We see critical spirits all around us, in our media, in our schools, in our social relationships, but it should not be part of the church. May God purge it from our lives and from our churches. We would each do well to ask ourselves, who have I been critical of this week? Has my focus on their faults blinded me to my own? Then we need to ask God, to help us see ourselves as we are. And all of God's people said, Amen. And then as we have seen ourselves, as we truly are, humble, grateful, watching our own lives, and gentle, then and only then can we perform eye surgery. Let's bow together, shall we? Father, forgive us For we are a judgmental people. We hypocritically, often harshly, condemn others for their faults, while at the very same time, being self-righteous 
guilty of self-centered pride and lacking in love. And we stand guilty before you, Lord. We thank you, blessed Savior, that you are such a gracious and merciful Lord. We thank you that in spite of the devil's best efforts to use us to destroy your work, yet you love us, you forgive us, you teach us so plainly from your word. Father, This whole week as I've been studying this sermon, I think of people from my past who so desperately needed this. But then, Lord, You have called me up short because as I look at the Scripture, it's not what about them. It's what about me. And I pray, Lord, today that You would help me. We are too hasty in our judgments of others. We often jump to conclusions when we do not have all the facts. Many times we have seated ourselves in the catbird seat looking down at all those underneath us. When only one belongs in the catbird seat, and that is our blessed Lord Himself. He alone has the vantage point to bring the right kind of judgment. Help us, Lord, today not to play God. Yes, we must use our critical faculties in evaluating moral and spiritual truth. Yes, we must beware of those who would pervert the grace of God into licentiousness. Yes, we must be willing to call a spade a spade. But we ask that you would deliver us from that hypercritical harsh, critical spirit that loves to share negative opinions of others. Oh God, keep us from that. We'll thank you and praise you for making us more like our Savior who did not bruise a wick nor did he shake a reed. May we be more like him. We thank you and praise you. And all God's people said together, Amen. I love this final song we're closing with today. It calls on us to 
see others as Jesus would want us to. Let's stand together. Let's sing. As we get to that last verse, we'll be dismissed. God bless you. Have a great week together in the Lord.